Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. We count it an honor and a joy to have your company with us as we continue our discussions of this fascinating topic, and that is the holiness movement or a holiness movement. And we have promised that this series is going to give you a bit of a, an overview to reorient your understanding of the brand of Christianity that Jesus purchased by His blood. We agree that there are diverse brands of Christianity that are being promoted particularly in our Western world where so many different attractive theories of what Christianity means, whether it's, a, it's an opportunity to gain, uh, you know, to bargain with God and trick Him by giving you your sin and you taking His forgiveness and an insurance ticket to heaven, regardless of how you live your life. Or whether it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a gig, it's a, a deal by which you gain meaning and purpose and joy and health and wealth. And, and it's almost like, wow, I've landed something awesome and it will cost me nothing because you know what? It's all by the grace of God. Or whether you just interact in church environments and you participate in religious activities and you make connections with friends and it doesn't impact the way uh, you live your life uh, day to day, but you have uh, this social club encounter with religious people and somehow that guarantees you that you're a Christian. Or maybe you made a decision one time and, and you have built your understanding of, uh, this concept of salvation by grace through faith alone and that is giving you total confidence that you're going to be one day in heaven with Jesus but it hasn't changed your earthly lifestyle it changed your eternal address so to speak and hasn't necessarily transformed your earthly experience. And there are so many different ways that people model, teach, and promote Christianity in our midst. So we have taken this opportunity out of deep love to help some people who wanting a biblical foundation to the brand of Christianity and will title that brand a holiness movement because we believe that from eternity past until eternity God intends for his people to God intends for his people to reflect his holy nature he says be holy because i am holy we, 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 we mentioned that we are looking at some foundations that motivates us to live a holy life. And we uh, began from the beginning by saying, you know, the character of God is holy. And those people who will live a holy life will need to encounter a holy God. We looked at God's purpose for us to, to have an identity and a calling that resembles His nature. We looked at the fall and its consequences and, 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 and God's plan uh, through Abraham and the nation of Israel to uh, introduce a holy nation that will represent God and would live out His standards and be a light to the nations. We disobeyed God repeatedly just as the, uh, uh, Adam 
and Eve disobeyed God, just as Israel disobeyed God, we all disobey God. Humanity has a virus of sin. And that sin has consequences. And Paul described these consequences for us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law because through the law we become conscious conscious of sin, of our sin. You see, what happens is God gave the Mosaic Covenant the law, the standards of living a godly life to His people. Uh, you, you may know uh, some of those as the Ten Commands. There were a lot more, uh, uh, you know, commands and, and instructions of living. You know, uh, the, it's expected uh, that there were about 613 uh, commands or instructions. But the reality is no matter how small or how large the quantity of the commands, the human heart has been damaged by the virus of sin. The human identity and the human calling as, as bearers of God's image have been distorted. And now we can't live that out by our own performances, by adhering to standards and regulations and rituals. In fact, by the law, which, which Paul says in Romans 7 is good and, and righteous, the law revealed to each of us our mess, that we are actually uh, unable to fulfill the demands, we are unable to live with the standards of God, that we, we fall short from the standards and the glory of God, which makes us guilty, which pronounces us silence, that none of us will be able to uh, speak up if we are being examined, cross-examined. We don't have a case. We can't justify ourselves. There is no way we can be declared righteous in God's sight because we are well and truly condemned. So what happens to that, the story of redemption, the amazing story of salvation, that God had a divine solution. And that divine solution is called Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, uh, we read of this. But after he had considered this, which is Joseph, considered the reality that Mary is pregnant, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with 
us. This is the pronounce, uh, the, the, the angelic pronunciation to Joseph that what Mary uh, has conceived is not illegitimate, that she truly has been endowed from power from on high and in some miraculous way the Holy Spirit has, uh, uh, has, has brought about a child uh, through uh, uh, Mary's womb and that child will be fully God and fully human. Because if Jesus was a result, was the outcome of a normal marital relationship, that means he has the virus of sin um, extended to him through the human DNA. But Jesus was God in flesh. That means he was fully human, taking his uh, um, uh, human nature from Mary, but not with an intervention of a human being so that he is without sin. Because if Jesus had sin in him, he would have had to pay that sin even if he died on a cross. That would be a payment for his sin, a payment for his punishment. But in God's miraculous provision, Jesus was fully human, a fully man, but without sin, without the virus of sin. And this miracle of, of, of incarnation allows this Jesus to be able to save his people from their sins because he's going to live a perfect life. His, uh, you know, he was considered in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, Jesus was, um, um, the angel said to Mary that the Holy One that will come from you, that he has a holy nature. And as Jesus progressed in his life on earth, we see in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 that in the temptations that Jesus stood strong. He didn't succumb to sin. He was holy practically. And in his teaching and in his miracle work and in his power, even when he's exercised the uh, demons, you know, demons were saying to him, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You know, Jesus was fully holy. Therefore, his life and his death became substitutionary for on behalf of those who are sinful. And Paul puts it this way throughout his letters, that the death of Jesus helped us receive three incredible blessings. They are the threefold salvation. Number one, we receive justification. That is, we receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account. It's like you're marrying a millionaire and all of a sudden you become a, billion, a millionaire even though maybe before then you had a debt. But because a millionaire and your account mingled together, it was his uh, riches imputed to your account, given to you freely because of your union. And the same thing, that justification is the righteousness of Jesus given to us freely. But also, more than that, is the righteousness of Jesus is practically being imparted to us day by day by day. Sanctification is the real practical life of living like Christ on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit because of the blood that was spilt 
on our behalf. And then we have the, the, the gift of glorification where righteousness of Jesus will be perfected in us. Where whilst here we on earth, we don't have perfect sanctification. We don't have perfect sinlessness. John says in 1 John 1, he says, whoever says that he's without a sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. That means we're never perfect this side of eternity. But there when we meet Jesus face to face, we will be glorified and will be like Him. And I want to mention to you that throughout the New Testament, there are three tenses of the verbs that speaks of salvation. Some verses would say we have been saved. That is something of the past, which really mean we have been saved from the punishment of sin. That is justification but then there are other verses that says that we are being saved or as Paul would say those who are being saved to us who are being saved he is the power of God right so we who are being saved that's present continuous we are being saved from the power of sin that we no longer need to be obligated to live under its dominion where we are slowly, gradually, by the power of the Spirit, we are being freed from and able to live life in the way that God would have us live it, not according to our sinful nature and its tendency and gravity. And finally, we will be saved. That's our glorification when Christ appears in His second coming. And that's what we call salvation from the presence of sin or from our sinful nature and, 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 and body of sin where we're going to be without uh, any of that burden that and uh, did not allow us to live the Jesus-like life perfectly because we were always drawn uh, down by our sinful inclination that fights against our new nature. And I want to share, share with you those three things from one uh, book, in the book of Romans, very briefly, but so you can have an understanding of the blessing that we have in the salvation that has been brought by Jesus' sacrificial death. Paul said, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of the Lord, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, the first thing Paul wants to tell us that we couldn't really reconcile with God. We couldn't come to a point where we have our image restored, our relation, our relationship with God restored because our legal position was a position of separation. A holy God can't be in full unity with a impure, unholy people who are disobedient. To, to him. So there was separation between us and God. But now the righteousness of God, the right standing that we can have with God, that's what righteousness is. The justification that we can have to be declared righteous in a legal way is come by faith in Jesus and freely by grace. 
it's, it's not something that we work for. It's by grace we have been saved. That means we have been justified. We have been declared righteous, not because we've done something good, but because we unite to the righteous one who has paid for our sin. So punishment cannot, cannot be exerted twice. God cannot punish the same sin twice because He's a just God. Our punishment was laid upon Jesus so that we don't go punished. It says that He uh, took our sin in His own body on the cross and He encountered the wrath of God. God struck Him uh, in order that He does not have to strike us. He was punished. He took our sins and therefore He gave us His righteousness. Paul again tells us in Ephesians that for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, which is exactly what we read in Romans 3. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reality, friends, is this. Grace saves us. Grace means free favor. Grace means a, a transforming power. Because of Jesus' death and enduring our punishment in His own body on a cross, we are now free to experience the goodness of God. Yeah, so He's taken our sin and you are now have no condemnation because you are truly united to Jesus. But look at what grace does as well. Paul, the same writer, says in Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own eager to do what is good. Isn't that just absolutely incredible? It is undeniably true that the scripture says that we are justified, we are saved, we are made right and reconciled to God by grace through faith as we receive, as we receive God, as we receive the seed of Jesus, as we unite with Him, we are regenerated and we are justified because of what Jesus did, not what we did. But look at what it says here. That same grace that offers salvation actually teaches us to say no to ungodliness. In fact, it shows us two primary things. The negative, it tells us to say no. It teaches us, it tutors us, it coaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. But the second thing is to live in self-control, upright, ungodly lives in this present age. It's the negative and the positive. The grace of God enables us or equips us or helps us to say no to the things that God hates 
and to say yes to the things that God loves. To exhibit the character and nature of God that hates sin and loves righteousness and godly living. He's asking us, Paul here, to acknowledge that if we receive the grace of God that saved us, is that we need to understand that the grace of God must shape us. You see, it, it teaches us, it shapes us to say no to sin and to say yes to godly lives in this present age. So those people that say, you know, we are saved no matter how you live, I am absolutely mesmerized by some people that say if a prostitute comes to accept Jesus as Savior, but lives the rest of her life in prostitution and ignorant of living a godly life or someone else that has had a, 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 a life of sin in a particular way and he came to Jesus and made a decision, but he lives in that life of sin for the rest of his life. They say, are they saved? And they say, once saved, you're always saved. And my, my gut feel is, according to this scripture, is that the question should be, are they saved? Because the very grace that appeared to offer salvation is the very grace that tells us to say no to sin. If, if, if within us there is no sorrow about sin, I don't mean sinlessness. If there is no remorse every time we fall, if there is not increasing desire to live more godly and that translate in effort and action to collaborate with God's spirit, to work out what God has worked on the inside of us. If there is no desire to live in godliness, then are we really saved? Because that's not what Jesus came and gave himself to redeem us from. He says he redeemed us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are eager to do what is good. You can't tell me Jesus died for our sins, but he's happy with us to live, continue to live in him. What sort of gospel is that? If you think that's the gospel of grace, please think again. You have been misled. You have been mistaught. This is the Reformation being misinterpreted. You cannot live in sin continually and, and, and love sin and, and live in the passions, worldly passions and say, I've been saved by grace. Because the grace that justifies, Paul tells us, sanctifies. Look, he says in Romans chapter 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's justification. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, spiritual life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? Paul is saying that because you receive the Spirit of God on the inside, he gives you spiritual life. He gives you spiritual appetite. He gives you spiritual desires. He gives you spiritual resistance to the things that, that are not of God. In fact, he says he liberates you and sets you free from the gravity of sin. You consider the law of buoyancy. The law of the gravity can be overwhelmed by the law of buoyancy. Just for example, if you, nail, uh, if you throw a nail in the ocean, it will sink. 
But if you put that nail in a piece of wood, it will float. And the same thing with us. As we attach ourselves to the cross of Jesus, though we could be taken captive to the law of sin, the overwhelming gravity of sin, but because we attach and united to the cross of Jesus, we can float. We can be liberated from the gravity of sin. But sanctification, just like justification requires our belief, sanctification requires our collaboration. If if this concept of let God and let go is not biblical, we always live with the tension of God's complete sovereignty and our human responsibility. We can't reconcile them. We've got to agree to both of them. So the Spirit is working on us to shape the life of Jesus and we have to collaborate with the Spirit. Look at what Paul says. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, we do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Can you see that? We are in Jesus. We are indwelt by the Spirit. But we need to surrender to the governing of that Spirit. We need to surrender to His control. That is the process of sanctification. It doesn't happen automatically. The Spirit impacts our life as we collaborate, as we surrender, as we live under His control, governing our mind by His standard and by His power. But if you have received Jesus, so to speak, but you're living according to the flesh and you set your mind on what the flesh desires or the sinful desires and worldly passions and and all of that, you are not being sanctified. You are not living the gift of salvation that is threefold. And look at what Paul tells us to do to collaborate with the Spirit. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in a family, dear family language, they say we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. We're no longer obligated to sin, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I hope this thunders in your ear. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And verse 14, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are truly the children of God. What Paul is saying is this. You say, I have made a decision for Jesus. But all of you, your life is governed by the flesh. And all of your life, you're living according to its desires and, and passion. It's it, you will die. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. It's saying, maybe you weren't even saved. And it says, if but if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will encounter the life that God intended for you. You will live led by the Spirit as a child of God. That's your identity. And you will live led by the Spirit to live the calling of God over your life, to say no to the misdeeds of the body and to say yes as an instrument 
of righteousness. But then this is the beauty is that we await the glorification. I consider Paul said that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's saying that in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And keeps saying that there will be a time where there will be glory exhibited in the children of God. And that's how he elaborates on it. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul is saying that we are waiting for a salvation for the redemption of our bodies that will come to pass when Christ returns to us and takes us to be with Him forever. He will change the, the form of our body. He will have uh, resurrected bodies that resemble Jesus and we will be more made perfectly more like Jesus, not like here hindered by our sinful nature. We will be liberated from that we will uh, we will live as people who are truly like Jesus as first John chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2 tells us when we see him we will be like him that's what we await we await our glorification it's another one of the blessings of the salvation that Jesus purchased by his blood it's not just a salvation for justification it's for all of life believers pursue holiness between the moment of their justification and glorification they don't sit on their backside and do nothing they pursue a life of sanctification because the grace of God that saved you will also shape you to be more like Jesus. God is inviting us to enjoy the threefold blessings of His salvation. Don't pick and choose because you miss out on the awesome privilege of enjoying God here and for eternity because it's by grace you are saved forever. Thank you for being with us. Look forward to being with you in our next episode. Until then, be utterly blessed.